the season is right around the corner and we are here to talk about it. This is High Character's official season preview episode. Going to talk all things New Mass Hockey this upcoming year. Let's go. everybody and welcome to episode 32 of high character today we are coming at you guys with our official season preview uh full episode we're going to talk about everything to expect going into the 2022-2023 season for umass hockey my name is cameron and i am joined today by my good pal evan evan how's it going man it's always going great when you're looking forward to a umass hockey season like it doesn't get much better than this i've been waiting for this moment for however many months it's been, what, basically six months at this point, mm-hmm. maybe five and a half. Like, it just, it feels so good knowing that, I mean, obviously there was the exhibition game that sadly neither of us could make it out to at that time, but obviously we're looking forward to the first non-exhibition game of the season. You know, one that's really going to go down for the the record books, I guess. I mean, not really like a record book, but obviously in terms of the record of wins and losses this season. So super excited, ready to get this episode out to everybody. Looking forward to it. Yes, we're super excited to get some official games uh, under our belts just a couple days away from trip out to Springfield, Mass to play AIC. Uh, If you weren't planning on going to that game, it's $2 beer night at the Mass Mutual Center. So make it down. Um, We'll have a full pregame episode coming out Friday afternoon for that game. Uh, But for now, we just want to talk about the season as a whole, maybe like go through the exhibition game a little bit. Um, and more of, of what's going on this season, some some talking points from recently on Twitter, stuff like that. So, yeah, I guess we'll we'll jump right into the exhibition. It was on Saturday, UMass versus Sacred Heart at Mullen Center, and UMass took the L in this one, three to two, Sacred Heart. Um, obviously, exhibition, just trying to get experience for a lot of the young guys, but uh, um, you mentioned we weren't there. From, from what you've heard and seen about the game, what were kind of your your main takeaways from this one? Yeah, I mean, I was listening to WMUA Sports, like their radio stream. Shout out to them. They've been doing great work. Um, and I've been obviously watching Twitter like an absolute hawk. So I was pretty tuned in to like just kind of the overall conversation regarding the game, even though I wasn't there physically. But um, just overall thoughts. I mean, the word that I saw a lot was sloppy. And just like the word turnovers a lot, which is to be expected with a new team that's trying to gel. Um, Obviously, we do like to play a pretty big possession style where we want to try and handle the puck as much as humanly possible and keep possession of it. So it's a little disconcerting to see that as like the main word is saying that like we're we're sloppy with the puck and we weren't holding on to it as well as we wanted to. Um, And obviously, I mean, giving up three goals especially to a team, not trying to diss Sacred Heart at all, but if you're giving up three goals to a team of, of their quality, not not the best look. I mean, obviously, on the other hand, it's definitely a case of it's good that we're catching these mistakes now. Rather, you know, like that's why we have exhibition games. You know, you obviously want to recognize your faults and, and try and fix them before you get into a real game scenario like that, you know, one that's actually going to count. So... Again, little little concerning, you know, especially to hear some of those certain buzzwords that I was seeing online. But it's good to know that we are recognizing the flaws early enough so we mm-hmm. can fix them. Yeah, and, and you mentioned recognizing the flaws and improving. Coach Carvel kind of echoed that 
sentiment. Like team didn't play great. Like everybody saw, um, wasn't a great performance, but it's good to have an exhibition game before the regular games get started. Nowhere to focus your, your attention to what needs to improve. Um, it's even good to have this game coming up against AIC before we get into the home slate playing number one, Denver in a couple weekends from now. So, um, not, not too much to be concerned about in my opinion. Um, we saw the new first line score a goal, first goal of the game, Cal Kipuk, um, from Lebster and Alger. We'll probably see a lot of goals from Kipuk and Lebster this year. And then a goal from Kenny Connors in the third period with the all, all freshman line. So I guess good to see some, some different names scoring. Yeah, no, like obviously bringing up the first line, that's like the big vet line. You know what I mean? You have Lebster, Kifuk, and it would be f- who's centering that line again? Josh Nodler, the new the transfer guy. Yeah. So having guys like, you know, Kifuk, Lebster, and Nodler out there, that's going to be where the bulk of our scoring is going to have to come from. They're your top line guys. Um, we bring in Josh Nodler as kind of a Lopina replacement because obviously we wanted Lopina to kind of anchor down that top line center role especially with his really strong strong face-off play which is what Josh Nodler had in his time at Michigan State and he actually showed in this exhibition game pretty well he was pretty decent in the face-off dot um and it's also good that you mentioned the the all I guess rookie freshman line however you want to call it because in my opinion they're going to be another reason why we're like if we ultimately become a very successful team this season it's going to be in large part to them in my opinion because we're going to have freshmen playing really big minutes in really big positions and roles. So if they're on the top of their game, making big time plays, the whole team's going to benefit from it. Um, This is going to be a team that's not the most experienced in comparison to the rest of hockey East. So we're definitely going to need to kind of almost embrace that inexperience and trying to not let it affect us and just play your game as if you've been here the entire time. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. as long as you can act like you've, you've been in hockey East your whole career, and just acclimate to that really quickly, you're, we're just going to play way better for it. So it's really good that, you know, you kind of mentioned both of those lines, because in my opinion, those are going to be the two most important lines this season. Yeah, and, and we talk about these lines. I think it is important to note that um, in our conversation with uh, with Coach a few weeks back, he said for this first game, just put give me some lines, and then we'll we'll go from there. So with what he saw in this exhibition game, there's a very good chance he might mix and match some of these lines up. It, there's, there's just a very good chance this won't be the final iteration that we see come uh, AIC or come the rest of the season, but it's a good starting place, I think. I think there's some intriguing storylines to be had all over the place, honestly. Yeah, no, you definitely are correct with it being all over the place, like goalie, defenseman, and, you know, forward. Like, everywhere is just kind of up in, up in the air right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think just overall, I do kind of still like the idea of those two lines. Because I think I think like like the line composition that I saw from that exhibition game, I obviously didn't have like a perfect like roster of lines in my head before that game. But then like when I actually looked at the lines, I was like, okay, this all makes a lot of sense. You know, like there wasn't anything that kind of just came out at me and made me say like, what the hell are they thinking? You know what I mean? Like it all kind of was just lining up like checking line, scoring line, energy line, like everything was just kind of there making sense. So. I totally agreed with, you know, the lines that coach put out there, even though I didn't actually see them play in person and it couldn't really pass the eye test for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But just on paper, it, it made a lot of sense. So I thought that was looking good. Yeah. And, and I, I guess we could talk about the goalies. You mentioned it when you were talking about the lines, um, each of the three goalies 
uh, got one period in this exhibition game. Uh, Sacred Heart only scored three goals, so nothing really glaring in terms of a goalie giving up a lot of a lot of goals. Um, how do you think? How do you think this is going to shake out as we go in? Who do you think might get the nod for for opening night? I mean, looking at the shots per period, I had the box score pulled up before before we were doing this, and it looks like Pavisic let up two goals on two shots. Not ideal. Um, obviously, you know, I fully believe in Pavisic and just clearly sometimes the team could have been playing really bad around him. I, again, I have absolutely no idea what the context was surrounding these goals. You know, I was just kind of listening in, obviously listening in and, you know, reading Twitter does not give you the whole story at all. So I obviously cannot kind of fault him in any way for, you know, what was going on in that period. I can only look at the stat sheet and try and extrapolate stuff from there, but Pavisic on paper did not have the best outing. Graham one goal on seven shots. It looks like eight shots. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to add them together or not on the box score. I'm being a dope, but, uh, and then Cole Brady gets a shutout uh, period with 10 saves. So Mm -hmm. that you really can't ask for much better. He did his job at the end of the game to try and shut the door and make it, you know, not a, not a worse uh, goal spread to try and overcome, you know what I mean? In that third period. So as it stands right now, just in actual exhibition play, Cole Brady seems to be the guy kind of, doing most of the work as it stands right now but again things could be different when you see people playing at practice obviously the coaches have way more context into this stuff than we do but on on pure paper right now Cole Brady has the best stats out of everybody Mm -hmm. yeah and I I did think it was interesting coach mentioned um, when he was asked a question about the goalie situation he he even said that Henry Graham has just as much of an opportunity to get games as as the um, the other two that you mentioned, so really up in the air. Uh, we haven't had this in many years. It being this big of a question, who's going to be getting the playing time? Obviously, we had Murray and Lindbergh kind of splitting time here or there, but uh, this really is a toss up. Well, I imagine that we'll have to see how things go. I, maybe even the Denver game, Pavisic gets one game. Um, and Cole Brady gets the other game, something like that. Cause I don't, I'm not really sure how much you can get out of practices and things like that, but it for sure will be interesting. Something that this program hasn't had to face in quite a long time with all the stable goaltending we've had. Yeah. I mean, I really wouldn't think about it as being any different from Murray and Lindbergh to be quite honest. I mean, if you have two goalies of similar quality, you know what I mean? Like regardless of what that quality is, you know what I mean? Like, again, haven't seen Cole Brady play. I have no idea how he plays in comparison to Luke Pavisic because we haven't even seen a lot of him play either. We saw him play, what, two, three games last year? He's not playing a whole lot either. So they're both pretty large question marks. We've seen a ton of Murray and a ton of Lindbergh. We know that they're very evenly matched goaltenders. Um, so I don't think this will be that much, you know, different in the eyes of Carvel. I think he's just going to go with one guy against AIC. If he plays very well, put him into the next game. Keep riding that hot wave until, you know, if he shows you otherwise that, you know, he's not up to the task that night put in the other guy. You know what I mean? It's just going to be roll with whoever's doing well until they're not doing well at that point and then give the other guy a shot. You know, everybody yeah. just has to keep going back and forth trying to earn the net. So that was exactly what Lindbergh and Murray did. And it worked out pretty damn well for the both of them. They're both doing pretty well in the professional professional hockey right now. So, yeah, you are, you are right about it being a similar situation, kind of not knowing what you're getting into. But the, the main difference is the question marks because – with Murray, with Lindbergh, you know what you're getting. You're getting one of the best goalies in the country, whichever side of the coin uh, lands face up. But with these two guys, it's um, Cole Brady, who obviously 
has some experience being from Arizona State. Um, and Pavisic, who really doesn't have much experience, he played one game against was it LIU last year? Yeah, I think one game against Maine. Yeah, so yeah. we ha- we haven't seen much, but uh, definitely, I would say I don't know if you'd call it a point of concern, but just something to like watch out for. Something that will settle itself over time. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Something that could be a bit of concern. There were there were a few players who didn't play in this exhibition um obviously most people know about garrett Waite. um unfortunately he is out for the season uh pretty pretty hard hitting injury there with um how big of a, a role he played last year in terms of scoring and things like that just wanted to hear your thoughts on how, what that'll do for this team the impact it'll have yeah i mean it's it sucks like for lack of a better term i mean i'm pretty sure that's a career ender i think he's already kind of transitioning over to more like volunteer role i heard he's still with the team but it looks like he doesn't have any more college eligibility left so he's just going to be uh hanging around the boys you know what i mean trying to contribute in other ways and i feel terrible you know what i mean like that's just it absolutely sucks but um his presence just being around the program i still think is going to be huge you know he has I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the buzzword guys. He's a high character guy. All right. That's just the way it is, but he's, he's obviously, you know, he was the, one of the big guys last year that was scoring extremely clutch goals. He was making all the right plays and hopefully if he can just kind of pass off that sort of mindset, you know, onto other players on this team, if we can have other guys kind of embrace that sort of clutchness and, you know, embracing the culture the way that he did when he came over from university of Minnesota, that's just going to be a huge lift to everybody else in the team. Yeah, I don't think it's there's any doubt that he would have gotten himself to a captaincy patch this year if he were on the team. He's he's that big of a player, so um, he'll have some big shoes to fill this season for sure. Another player that had a big role for UMass last season, especially as it came down to crunch time in the season, uh, Aaron Bollinger, he will not be starting the season with the team. Um, he didn't play in the exhibition. There was a, a recent article that came out and, and Coach Carvel said that he's out indefinitely. He's not sure when Bollinger will be back. That It sounds ominous on the surface. You don't know how long that could be, if it's a few weeks or half the season or more. Um, so, obviously, Bollinger played a big part in last season, scored the game winner for the, to win the Hockey East Championship, uh, probably played some, some good minutes on the second-line defense. So, uh depending on how long he's out, that's a, that's a pretty big hit. Yeah. I mean, I literally just talked about Garrett Waite being clutch. Like I'm pretty sure at one point, some of the teammates were calling Bollinger like captain clutch or Mr. Clutch. He had some sort of clutch nickname at one point. I mean, it doesn't get more clutch than winning the hockey's playoffs on your overtime shot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's ridiculous. So obviously his presence is going to be missed. I think he's either our most, I think our, our most upperclassmen, you know, like in terms of like seniority, like I think he's a junior right now, which I think is tied for Elliot McDermott on being the the oldest defenseman that we have. I don't even think we have a single senior defenseman. I think all of them are either juniors and below. So we are really lacking in the experience department on our blue line and losing half of our, you know, most senior defensemen, like that's, that's, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow on the surface. So I'm hoping that we can really lock it down with some of the younger guys that we have on that, on that front. Yeah. And speaking of kind of being shorthanded on the blue line, um, another guy that didn't play in the exhibition was Noah Ellis. Um, He's a freshman coming. We don't know too much about him or 
his style of play, but just another another injury on the blue line that we'll have to weather for the beginning of the season. Yeah, I was looking forward to him playing some pretty big minutes on this team. He's, I think, a fifth or sixth round draft pick by Vegas. Like, he is a very, very solid two-way defenseman. Like, he can get goals. He can, you know, he's a pretty big guy. I think he's like 6'2". He's pretty, pretty big man. So, he can, you know, make plays. Obviously, that's why he's here. And we're looking to develop him as much as humanly possible. So, let's hope, and, let's hope that he doesn't miss any sort of significant time because that would kind of, you know, weigh into – him developing, you know what I mean? A little bit less as time goes on, if he's sitting there nursing an injury the whole time. So let's just hope that he's back on the team sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. So that kind of wraps up our conversation on the exhibition game. Didn't go exactly to plan, but like coach said, not too much of a cause for concern Uh, chance for them to, to see what kinks they have and chance to iron them out as we get closer to the season. Uh, I thought we'd jump into some, kind of housekeeping things in regards to the upcoming season uh specifically today we're we're recording this on wednesday there was a lot of twitter discussions about uh kennedy o'connor wearing number four we saw matt kessel wear that number when he was here and during during matt kessel's tenure um umass as a program actually retired the number for for pat keenan a huge huge player in umass hockey's early days I, I believe the all-time leading scorer for UMass, right? Yeah, I believe so. Um, so, yeah, they they were they retired his number four, and we see a new freshman player with number four um, this year, which got a few people confused on Twitter. Um, Pat Keenan actually said when the number got retired, I'm putting air quotes around retired, that he wants guys to still wear it. He just wants it to be celebrated. He doesn't want to take that number away. He said the number four is very important in Massachusetts because of Bobby Orr, and it's just good to see uh, guys wearing that number on the ice. So that's a that's a cool stance from Pat Keenan, not not something we're used to seeing when somebody gets their number retired. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And I mean, like especially when you put the kind of the air quotes around retired. I mean, it kind of makes sense because as I was actually looking up stuff before we did this uh, this episode of the pod, it turns out they never actually used the word retired. They kept mm. using the, the term honored, and I think that's why, because it might have been from the jump that he never actually wanted the, the number to be officially retired and not have anybody wear it. So I guess we kind of just all assumed that it was meant to be retired when it seems like the athletics department was kind of purposely using the word honored, and I guess that was to really kind of drive home the idea that people will continue to wear the number. So I guess, like, it might have just been some really odd reporting, like, because I remember seeing a couple of articles, like, around the time period that, like, they were like, oh, yeah, like, Matt Kessel can still wear the number for the rest of the season, but mm-hmm. then, like, we'll revisit it, and we're like, all right, like, that kind of drives home the idea that it must be retired then, but I guess there was just a lot of confusion, and it all kind of boiled over today when people, like, that's the worst thing, is that I literally posted all the freshmen and their new numbers, like, on Twitter, like, two weeks ago. I did a little bit of digging on the UMass roster page. I didn't even think about it. Like I completely forgot. I was just like, Oh yeah. Number four. All right. No big deal. Next. Like Matt Kessel's old number. Like it completely skipped my mind and that's on me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if I'm any self-respecting UMass hockey fan, I should have remembered that. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's totally on me, but yeah, it all kind of came to a point today and everybody started talking about it and it seems like it's cleared up now. I feel like everybody kind of understands honored number, not retired, still has a banner. All of his great accomplishments are still preserved, you know, in UMass history. It's just, 
we're going to keep wearing his number and try and continue the legacy of greatness from that number four from Pat Keenan. Yeah, and don't don't feel bad if you were under the assumption that since the number is hanging in the rafters, nobody will wear it again for UMass. That pretty sure is what both of us were thinking, uh, what a lot of people seem to be thinking. But yeah, like you said, it looks like they just meant to honor the number, which is pretty cool and unique. You don't see that too many places. Um, another thing we wanted to note in terms of numbers not being worn, uh, as you might have noticed going through the roster this year, the number eight and the number 16 are not being worn this year. Um, obviously, number eight belonging to Bobby Trevino last year. Number 16 uh, last belonging to Kale McCarr in 2019. It has been worn since then. So uh, maybe a little bit of uh, a sign there having nobody wearing those numbers. It definitely makes you think, you know what I mean? Like it's number 16. Come on. I don't even think that's a, that's a remote question. Like, I don't think it'll ever be a question. It, it's just going to be a matter of when rather than if like, it's clearly going to happen at some point, but I think, I think Bobby Trevino's number eight kind of brings up an interesting conversation. It's definitely one that could be up for debate. Um, he clearly, I mean, not just on the score sheet, but just in terms of character and, you know, how much everybody embraced him as a Minuteman. Like, he was just that guy. You know what I mean? Like, there's just no other way to put it. He, got, he had that dog in him. You know, <laughs> like, he was just that. There, there are so many different phrases you could use to kind of describe him as an individual. But he just really em- embodied everything that it, that it took to be a member of the UMass hockey program. So I personally think it's definitely a discussion to be had I don't know exactly how I stand one way or another whether it should be retired I think it's a bit early to have that conversation but it's definitely it's I I think athletics probably has it you know sitting on the back burner in their minds right now Mm -hmm. I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility I differ from you a little bit I I don't think it's even a question that number eight will get retired um, I think everything that Bobby's done for the program, having the, the first program national championship under his belt, yeah. being the, the best player on the team like last season, it's clearly evident how much of an impact he had, not only on the ice, but off the ice and just kind of like beating the odds. He's a smaller guy. I think he was five foot eight, mm-hmm. like being able to be the biggest presence on the ice uh, while being one of the smaller guys was really awesome to watch. I don't, I, I obviously think Kale is no question. I, I do think that Bobby is also no question someday going to have his number retired. And then somebody we haven't mentioned yet, number 31 is also not being used this year, which I, I think warrants more of a discussion as well. Yeah. I mean, j- j- so just, just to not even belabor the point and like, I don't even want to forget about this. You just converted me to, to on the, on the <laughs> retire number eight, train like that is that is happening you should be the one to present it to him like like when it happened you just completely changed my mind and yeah I don't know if you were on some like crazy debate team in high school but you were you just killed it with that explanation right there but yeah I don't know Matt Murray 31 that I mean at that point do we even extend that to 35 for Lindbergh you know what I mean not being used like he didn't exactly that's what I'm saying like for both of them like they were you know next to next to quick which I mean you know, a lot of people, I don't want to say forget, but like, it's, it's been a little bit since quicks played for us. You know what I mean? It's been what, 15 years now. Like it's it's, around that. Yeah. If we want to be exact, it's like 17 or 18, but it's, it's been a while since he's put on a UMass uniform and he was filthy back in his day. He was quite the tendy as well, but 
you know, obviously didn't have the, the national championship, you know, under his belt, you know, it's, it, it, I feel like goalies is always a really difficult conversation because I feel like in a lot of instances, people like to attribute goalie success to the team. Like they, they tend to be more of a, a product of the defensive system. Mm-hmm. I don't think that at all in terms of Lindbergh and Murray, just to, just to clear the air about that. I think they were both tremendous goalies that deserve all the plaudits in the world for what they did. They were unbelievable for us, but I don't know, man. That's, it's a really, really interesting thing to talk about. Like, because you got to remember too, like, it's like the success is attributed to both of them. Like they both split time almost evenly. Like, I don't think there was a single season where, I mean, obviously besides when Murray played his graduate year for us, like he basically owned that net, but almost every other season they were splitting time with one another. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, did they play enough to warrant that? You know what I mean? Like obviously their individual play and their accomplishments certainly warrant that, but you, you kind of wonder like if they were on the team and they didn't have each other to kind of play off of, do you, do you wonder if they share that same success? And I mean, I think they do, but we'll obviously never know because of the situation that they were in on the team. Right. And I, I think that reasoning kind of, I think it kind of works in Matt Murray's favor, uh, him getting the extra year last year to be completely by himself and prove mm-hmm. that he can be the guy. Um, obviously, like you mentioned the back and forth, like, um, like who's going to be in net this night, like kind of bouncing off each other. They both had huge games. They both had national tournament games. Um, Lindbergh was the one to win the national championship, but he wouldn't have gotten there without Matt Murray. So obviously <laughs> they're so, they're so intertwined like that. I, w- I would think Murray would have a slightly better chance just given five years of exactly. success and yep. having that full senior year by himself, but who knows both, both numbers aren't being used. It's, it's a fun discussion to be able to have when you have 100%. players like that and be able to talk about that. Again, like just, just to like, just to talk about it, like we wouldn't have been having these sorts of conversations five, six years ago when Carvel mm-hmm. took over. Like you, you would think like retired number for what? Like we just won five games, bro. Like there's no way, but obviously again, it just, I feel like we talk about this almost every episode, but it just shows you how far we've come. Exactly. Like that, that's unbelievable to be just knowing that we have guys that are playing so well, not just in relation to UMass hockey, but hockey East as a whole, you know what I mean? Like, we're not just seeing guys that are the best player on their team, but potentially best player in the whole conference, maybe all the NCAA like that. That's yeah. unbelievable to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one more uniform number related item, not having to do with retiring numbers, but uh, I'm not sure if we touched on it before Tyson Dick, uh, they gave him number 40 this year, which is something that hasn't been done. Um, usually, guys on UMass have been given numbers one through 35. We haven't seen one, um, at least in the last six or seven years higher than that. So Tyson Dick getting number 40 is an interesting conversation. Yeah, that was something that I actually, I ended up having a side discussion with that on my Twitter when I posted all the, all the newcomers, uh, Jersey numbers. And I think when I did some research after talking with some people on UMass Twitter, I think the last person to wear a number that was higher than 30 and they were a skater, like not a goalie was William Laguson. If you remember him from our freshman year, number 37, I believe. Um, And we hadn't seen anybody over that number uh, basically ever since up until Tyson Dick. Um, It was just, it's super, like, I feel like it's kind of random. Like 
I was kind of looking through, you know, like the, the top 30 jersey numbers. Eight wasn't used like we've already discussed. 16 wasn't used like we've already discussed. But I think 15 was still up for grabs. And I mean, I guess like if if there was some sort of, you know, hard stuck rule where you can't have a number above 29 for whatever reason, if you're a skater, 15 would have been available. So clearly some sort of agreement was reached, you know, obviously like Tyson talked about it with the coach and got the sign off on it. I have no idea how this stuff works. I've never played in an organized hockey league. I don't know what types of conversations go into this, but definitely something worthy of note. Um, Cause yeah, I think before Lagason, I think it was like, I want to say like Matt Irwin, like back in the day, I think he wore like 44 or something like that. Like it was just, what you're saying is it's been a while. It, it, insanely a while. Yeah. Like it's been quite a while. So yeah. Um, outside of number eight and 16, which we just discussed, number two and number 15 are still available. Oh, so it was two as well. All right. I yeah. forgot about that. And that, that was formerly of Mark Delgado. Um, mm-hmm. Which, so. made, hey, maybe he has arguably one of the biggest goals in UMass hockey history. So, yeah, I mean, that is very true. But I, you also got to think, like, just from, from a forward perspective, two is such a weird number to wear as a forward. Like, mm. That I could not sign off on at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if I was a forward trying to wear number two, come on, get 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 him out of here. Like, what's I your like, what's your what's the lowest you'd go for a forward? What's the what's the reasoning behind that? Seven. I think I think Keith Hugh has the lowest number acceptable by a skater or a, a forward, I should say. <laughs> Why do you think that's acceptable? I don't know. Like, I just I just can't. I don't. It's just weird, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I just <laughs> unexplainable. I feel like every single defenseman I've ever seen. If you're wearing a single digit, you're wearing six or below, which I think has always been the case for at least all of the time that I've been watching UMass the past six, almost seven years now. Um, yeah, because I'm just trying to run through all the numbers in, the, in my head. I, yeah, I've never seen a forward where I think less than seven. Mm. And usually if you're – I mean, forwards, you can kind of wear anything in the 10s and the 20s. I feel like that's perfectly fair game. But, yeah, no, the single digits, I feel like the cutoff point – you got to wear seven or above if you're a forward. And I think that's what's been happening all this time. So maybe I'm just having this weird, like, I'm just noticing the pattern that UMass has done. And maybe I'm just applying that and thinking that that's normal. Maybe UMass is the weird one. I have no idea, but I haven't seen anything different out of the past UMass teams that I've seen. So I'm just kind of sticking with that. Cause I think that yeah. it's pretty normal. Yeah. We've uh, seen a lot of unwritten rules for baseball. Didn't know they, they seeped in the hockey and numbering, but uh, pretty funny to talk about um in terms of of players we've been talking about a few players um the new captains for this year it's a full new um squad of captains eric faith uh, the senior is going to get the c this year and then reed lebster and jerry harding are going to wear the a so congratulations to those guys that's a that's a huge honor especially on a coach carvel run team Uh, obviously we we know everything he stands for and his high standards so that is Really awesome for those guys to get the captain's patch this year. Yeah, no, I, I love the captain picks this year. Um, I think they all play the right way. You know, I mean, I've always been a big Jerry Harding guy, obviously. Um, if you listen to any of the pods that we put out last season, like I would just talk about that dude would literally just skate around like a chicken with his head cut off. And same thing with uh, with Lautenbach, but, you know, like just super strong four checker. I just always like the way that he plays. You know, he's just always kind of going in there giving high energy all the time but um yeah again super happy for faith too 
I think, you know, he's, he's kind of a slept on player in my opinion. I feel like people don't kind of give him the credit he deserves. I think he's pretty solid defensively. He's just, he's a really big body. He plays very hard. Um, you know, plays very heavy. You know, he likes to throw the body around. Um, so he's just always been a really solid presence on the team. And obviously, you know, you, you can't always kind of look at the, the on ice production and just immediately think about like, you know, would this guy be a good captain? It's always locker room stuff that goes into that. You know what I mean? There's always going to be things that we don't see that goes on behind the scenes. Um, I think for the most part, I mean, obviously, um, Trevino aside, I feel like a lot of our captains, you know, in the time that we've been watching this team aren't necessarily, you know, top line forwards that are putting up, you know, a point, two points a game. You know, they're usually guys that play the right way, have improved a lot over the course of their career, and they kind of exemplify that kind of high character, you know, personality that that coach really looks for in the program. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's, yeah, just high character individuals. We, in our conversation with Coach Carville, it's he doesn't even focus on the skill too much. It's about that heart, like how you are behind the scenes, how you handle yourself. Um, I think, I think he even mentioned in a recent interview um, that Eric Faith is a 4.0 GPA guy. So like he takes that into consideration too, just uh, all around. I, I think we could say it without any issues, high character guy, given he's got the C. 100%. Um, one more housekeeping thing uh, I wanted to mention. It was just recently announced UMass is going to have nine games on Nesson, which is the most of any of the 11 Hockey East schools, um, and then add one more to that number for the Frozen Four games. So 10 games on Nesson this year, most of any school in Hockey East. I think that's awesome. It shows how far this program has come the last couple of years. Yeah, it's awesome to see. I mean, realistically, it shouldn't affect us all that much because we're most likely going to be at most of these games. So Obviously for us, you know, not a, not a crazy deal, but I mean, obviously for the people that are watching, you know, in other areas, being able to watch these games on TV is obviously huge, but she has to kind of grow like the program brand. You know what I mean? Like, obviously you kind of want to be as relevant as humanly possible when it comes to, you know, marketing and advertising, you know, like you want people to watch the team. You want more dedicated fans. You know what I mean? You want to have people that love to talk about the team, just like us. You know what I mean? Like the more people, that are really invested in the team and just really want to see it grow the the more it's just going to kind of push the program even higher you know what I mean like there's obviously other teams that have like absolutely ravenous fan bases like one that always comes to mind for me is is North Dakota like their fans travel like you wouldn't believe I feel like to the to the frozen fours that we've been to there's like even if North Dakota's not even playing Mm -hmm. you just see random blue or green and black jerseys just strewn throughout the the ice and you're just like what is going on here? Like, why are you here? You know what I mean? But it's like, it may, like they're just huge college hockey fans and, you know, they travel well. And that's the type of fandom that we kind of want to generate at UMass too. So the more exposure that we have on, you know, both a regional and a national kind of level to try and, you know, just get people to see UMass hockey and how we play. I think there's, there's nothing bad that can come from it. There's only positives. Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's really good to reach out. Like Nesson is broadcast everywhere in new England on most, cable packages and just to to get UMass alumni who may not be familiar with the program success uh even even though they did win the national championship there's still people out there that don't know how good UMass hockey has really been the last five or six years and for for fans of other teams the BCs BUs Northeasterns to tune in to Nesson and see UMass on their TV more often than their school or any of the Boston schools is pretty awesome you wouldn't 
if you were, if we were to say that six years ago, uh, you'd think you're crazy saying that he's going to be on TV more than any of those teams. So, uh, just to really, really doesn't like you said doesn't mean too much to us going to the games, but just to see uh, where we've come over the last few years is is really cool. Definitely. All right, so uh, that was kind of everything we had um, housekeeping wise about this upcoming season. Um, we I want to urge you guys to go listen to our schedule preview episode. Uh, I believe it was episode 30 that we did. Um, just kind of went through game by game. I kind of previewed the season in that way. Uh, I thought it was good to get like kind of a, um, a full overhead view of what the season's going to be looking like. And then uh, as we move on in this episode, we wanted to touch on the polls that came out, the Hockey East polls. We have a coach's poll and a, a writer's poll, which I thought would be pretty interesting to, to jump into. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll start with the coaches poll, um, voted on by the, the head coaches of hockey East and at number one, they had Northeastern, um, they got seven first place votes. Number two is BU who got one first place vote. Um, and UMass comes in at number three, they had three first place votes. And then just going down from there, Providence, BC, UMass Lowell, UConn, all the way at seven, which is interesting. We thought they might be pretty good this year. Um, eight is Merrimack, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. Yeah, I mean, just to start off, um, there was actually a little bit of controversy regarding this poll because apparently Hockey East couldn't get their act together and make a proper graphic for it, which I thought wow, was super Hockey interesting. Wow, Hockey East couldn't get, their, couldn't get it together, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Complete <laughs> shocker. That's never happened before. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, it was super weird. Like, they originally had us listed a second with with 94 points and they had BU with, with 93 then they posted the graphic onto Instagram but it was flipped back into the order that you just stated which is the quote-unquote correct order and I ended up actually I think commenting on the Instagram post like hey this is there's a discrepancy here like what's going on and they're like no these are the correct results and I was like all right no big deal then they go and post it again on Twitter a day after like hey in case you missed it like they're not trying to gaslight us into thinking that we didn't <laughs> immediately just <laughs> The, they literally had us in third place before or second place before and it turns out we were supposed to be in third but it was a complete and utter just clown show from hockey east but we we kind of come to expect that at this point i mean this isn't just a complete like hockey east roast but i mean it feels like it has to be said um that was just a complete and utter clown show but to actually get into the hard-hitting analytical stuff that we that we like to talk about on high character here um yeah i mean it's a pretty solid ranking in my opinion like I, yeah, I agree with you that UConn seems a bit low because um, I feel like they're kind of like us. I've, I think we talked about this on the schedule preview. Um, just very similar question marks, like lost very good forwards, lost a very good goalie. Like we're just kind of both having big question marks regarding scoring and goaltending. So I kind of thought that it was interesting to have us at third, but them in seventh with a 23-point difference between the two. Um, I don't really know if that means that I would want UMass to be lower or UConn to be higher. I think I'd want UConn to be a bit higher because looking at teams like BC and Lowell, like I just think UConn has a bit more about them, but Mm. that's just me personally. Yeah. I I thought very early to get into the the hockey East slander, but uh, they just keep defying our expectations, I guess. Um, I did want to discuss with you where we think, the first place votes might have come from UMass got three. Uh, I can't. Okay. I can't picture. 
Coach Carvel voting for UMass, just being the high character guy. Are you is, are you allowed to? I'm not sure. Even if you are, I can't see him voting yeah. for UMass. So I'm wondering who you think those three votes might be. Maybe like who who we beat up on the most the last couple of years, like who might think the highest of us. So I think I think the Homer pick would be Benny Barr at Maine. Right. That that just that just makes sense. Yeah. Um, and this is all completely unrehearsed. I didn't even think you'd ask me this. So this is going all <laughs> off top right now. You're putting me on the spot. Um I'm thinking maybe Bowles coach would not vote for us. I think yeah. I, I can eliminate I mean Bull. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though, is because you kind of have to think of it from like an impartial, you know, aspect. Like, yeah, obviously we're supposed to be sworn enemies, but like we, when we play Lowell, those are some damn good games. You know what I mean? Like it is a very hard fought game and it tends to bring out the, the most in both teams. Like as much as I hate to semi praise Lowell, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, 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 they bring their best stuff when they come and play us. So, I mean, I can't fault them for that. And I think Norm Bazin might respect that. You know what I mean? I could, I could see Lowell yeah. picking them and I could probably see, I'm thinking either Merrimack's coach or Providence's coach. So Lehman and, I'm blanking on Merrimack coach's name. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, what is his name? Scott Borek. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I knew that. I totally knew that. I've, I've heard <laughs> totally. his name a lot to be fair, but um, yeah. Up for, I think, up for a coach of the year last year. Yeah. No, that was another thing that kind of surprised me not to completely derail the subject, but Merrimack at eight and especially with a mm. 26 point drop off between seventh place UConn and eighth place Merrimack after all the success that they had that past year, that is a very quick regression. Like mm. I haven't seen who departed their program. I don't know all the specifics, but even if they lost the majority of their goal scoring, like you got to have something left over. You know what I mean? Like you can't just have a team full of seniors be nominated for coach of the year and then just immediately fall off a cliff to eighth place. That right. just seems very suspicious to me, but yeah. That's that, that's my piece on it. So my, my three coaches, Maine's coach, Providence's coach, Lowell's coach. I am going to agree with you on Maine, Benny Barr. Um, I don't – I'm going to eliminate any of the Boston schools because they have their, their whole Boston elitist mm-hmm. kind of thing going on. Um, my best uh, – I think New Hampshire beats us enough that they don't – Yeah. That they yep. wouldn't um vermont there's a chance i think yukon's coach is one of the votes um and then a third i think we play providence really well so i think those three providence yukon and maine coaches are the ones that voted doesn't matter at all we'll never know but exactly funny to think about it um and then there was another poll that came out it was the writers poll writers and broadcasters association media poll um it went like this Northeastern with seven first place votes. Uh, number two, UMass with three first place votes. Um, Providence, Connecticut, BU, Lowell, BC, all the way down at seven. Merrimack at eight again. Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Yeah, I mean, so so if we try and show the difference between these two, it looks like Providence jumped up one spot. UConn jumped up three spots. That means BU dropped three spots, which I don't understand how they get a first place vote, but a first place vote and then end up in fifth. Like that, some people, a couple people thinking very highly and a couple of people exactly. It's super weird. Um, it looks like Lowell stays about the same. 
BC drops off two spots. Um, Merrimack is roughly the same. And it looks like Vermont and New Hampshire swap between ninth and 10th. But I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it looks like the top half is still pretty split, at least on like individual like spots. Like obviously, like, but you know, having being second in the coaches poll for BU and then dropping all the way to fifth for the writers poll, like that's a pretty big discrepancy to be fair. Um, which I thought was super interesting. It looks like the writer's poll is a lot more tight between like the top eight teams. And then there's just a massive drop off to ninth through 10, th- yeah. ninth through 11th, which is just insane to me. Um, it kind of seems like on the, on the coaches poll, there's like three very distinct kind of like zones. Like mm-hmm. there's Northeastern BU and UMass in the top three. And then you have, Providence, BC, Lowell, and UConn all within literally five voting points of each other, all right in that middle spot. And then there's a massive drop-off by 26 points, and it goes to Merrimack, UNH, Vermont, and then Maine. Like, there's there's kind of three very distinct tiers there, which I find super interesting. So we'll kind of see how that shakes out in terms of, like, the actual standings this year, because I didn't actually look to see how last year's poll ended up kind of shaking out with the actual standings. That probably would have been really interesting to see, but... Yeah, one thing I noticed uh, on both polls, Northeastern's ahead by kind of a lot of voting points. Um, they they seem to be the the for sure favorite mm-hmm. in the conference. Um, UConn, like you mentioned, a pretty big discrepancy. I don't I don't see them being any worse than fourth or fifth this year, in my opinion. And I was a little disappointed in the the votes for Maine. I was hoping they might take a a jump this year. Um, given how poor of a season they had last year and, and Ben Barr's being in his second year as coach, but we'll see. Um, I don't think this means too much. Obviously, it's just the opinions of of a few kind of contributing to this. I, I think Coach Carvel would probably honestly be mad for us even taking this seriously. Uh, oh, yeah, but, 100%. Yeah, so this doesn't it's, – it's just an interesting uh, start of a conversation. Obviously, uh, what happens is likely going to be different, but good to see that both the coaches and the writers think pretty highly of UMass going into the season, even with all the the change. Yeah, no, that was definitely the craziest thing for me is just like knowing how much uncertainty there would be in certain parts of our team, you know, like just to still have, I mean, I'm not going to knock them for having faith. You know what I mean? Like clearly like we're, we we're literally coming off of a massive, you know, hockey's playoff win and we ended up making the frozen four or not the frozen four, the, the, ah, the, the, the national tournament. Yes, the national tournament. Yeah. Why words are failing me right now. But um, yeah, so I think that's super interesting to see. Um, we'll obviously see how things shake out. Um, we'll probably have a pretty rough idea on how things will be after the first couple of weeks of the season. You know, we'll obviously see if they're, you know, Maine could go undefeated. Who the hell knows? That's just the nature of hockey. But I think I think it should shape up roughly to around how the preseason poll is. Like, I'm not shocked that Northeastern's a favorite. You have Devin Levi that dude's going to steal you 10 games by himself. Like, I hate to praise Northeastern right now, but that dude is an absolute freak. <laughs> like, there's just no other way to describe it. So, Yeah. Devin Levi, an early, early uh, player of the year candidate in Hockey East and even for Hobie Baker, we'll see. Um, it kind of leads us into our next conversation, the last thing we wanted to talk about for this season preview. We have a preseason superlatives list. We're going to kind of go through and um, – give awards to players we think are going to be um, the best in certain spots at the end of the season. 
So uh, the first one that we wanted to do is the best forward. Evan, who do you have as 2022-2023's best forward? I got, I'm going with Reed Lebster. I think he's going to make a pretty big jump this season. Um, I think he showed a lot of flashes, obviously, the past three years. You know what I mean? It's just he hasn't really been given a massive role. You know, like he's been basically a second-line guy for most of his time here. And I think maybe with increased minutes, you know, maybe a new line mate and Josh Nolder, we'll see. Maybe the chemistry is different. I think he's going to be called on to – he's going to have to make big plays. You know what I mean? He's first-line forward, you know, first-line winger. So I think he's going to have to make big plays, and he's going to be put in a lot of positions to do so. Yeah, I, I agree with all the reasoning that you have, and I'm going to uh, give that to Cal Keefuk. I think he's going to be our best forward this year. I could see him, um, at least in my head canon, he's, he'll have the year of playmaking, uh, setting guys up a lot. I think Lebster might have more of a, um, like a cleanup around the net kind of like, gritty goals like goal scoring type i think uh i think cal keefuk is going to be our main playmaker on the forward line this year um i think we both can agree that that first line uh is going to be where a, a big bulk of the points goes they're going to get big bump in minutes um they're going to be the go-to guys so um should be fun to watch both of them next year 100 percent uh the next superlative award we want to give out is best defenseman who is your best defenseman I mean, should we even should we even do it person by person, or should we just <laughs> spill the beans right now? I mean, we can just the like, beans. we can we can just time it together. We're both picking Morrow. I mean, yeah. and that, that I'm I'm gonna lead off with my argument. This is not to discredit Ryan Ufko. I believe in Ryan Ufko. He has the Ufko piss missile, as I've coined it. <laughs> like his slap shot is nuts. But I think Morrow is going to be put in more of a position to succeed, especially on the power play, in my opinion. Morrow I think he's a position. You know, man, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. And you're just coming in, cleaning up my own, like, inadvertent puns. And I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you for that. But, yeah, I think Morrow is going to be kind of the, the the quarterback of that power play. I think Ufko might be in more of a position to kind of feed off of him. But I think that will ultimately give Morrow the ability to get both more points. And I think he'll have more kind of – instances to show off more of his his abilities i guess because that's clearly where he excels the most is being able to make big plays inside of the zone um i just think he has that sort of shiftiness and that vision to make just unbelievable passes and to put himself into really high i guess percentage opportunities inside of the zone so that that's why i'm going to give it to him and i think that is going to be also contingent on the fact that he cleans up his defensive game much more because that was the kind of an area where we wanted him to kind of improve a little bit, at least mm -hmm. for me. I think he had a couple of big time moments where just the defensive effort was a little suspect. I think the defensive kind of decision-making was just a little suspect. I think those are all things that once you have a full off season to kind of understand. And now that you have game footage from being in hockey East and you kind of understand how the league operates, you're just, he, he has all the tools in front of him now to kind of learn from it and to get better. And I think he's going to be able to take, to make that step forward this season. Yeah. And it'll be a lot of weight on his shoulders. Um, we mentioned Bollinger being out for an undisclosed amount of time. Um, he's going to be the guy on defense throughout the whole season. Um, I would, I would say Kessel was more of the guy on defense last year, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's Moro's blue line and I'm excited to see what he does 
Um, I think I might have been a little more on the fence than you. I was very close to writing Ufko in mm-hmm. in best defenseman, but uh, both of them should be should be really fun to watch. I have pretty high expectations for the both of them going into next this season. Hundred percent. I mean, also to not even in the only reason why I didn't really pay Elliot McDermott much mind was just because I hadn't really seen him play all that much. Yeah. Obviously, I'm gonna be a little bit biased between guys that I already know versus guys that I've very rarely seen play. I think I saw maybe a couple of highlights on YouTube when I was looking him up earlier this summer. He still looks to be a very a very solid defenseman, but I think he might not make as many sexy plays that you know Ufko or Moro might do. So. I think just from kind of the Homer aspect and trying to get those crazy highlight clips, I think it's going to be more on Morrow and Ufko. Um, but I think McDermott is going to be one of those more solid, underrated guys that we might be looking back at this episode right now and saying we probably should have given him a little bit more credit because he's probably going to be more of the anchor. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that in a Slava Demin anchor, meaning like you know moving pylon. I'm thinking more of like <laughs> an anchor, as in like actually being a very solid defensive piece. Uh huh. Yeah. Slava Demin out here catching strays. I mean, that's a little <laughs> tough, but for real, I thought we were past that, but uh, <laughs> I guess the season hasn't started yet. Um, yeah, I think you make a good point. Um, definitely a good conversation to have, and UMass is always good at pumping out goalies, so or not goalies, uh, defensemen. So should be should be a good watch this year. Speaking of goalies, who's your best goalie? You think I'm, by the end of the year? Now, I. I'm going to make this decision right now with a grain of salt towards the exhibition game. I'm still going Pavisic. I think just he's, he's been with the team longer. I think he might get more chances to succeed, at least in the beginning, because at least the, the coaches kind of know what they're getting with him. So I think he might kind of, he just has, I think the trust of the coaches a bit more currently. And I think, you know, it's, it's an exhibition game. He probably had some nerves. He was the first guy to go in. I bet the team was probably playing quite sloppy behind him. I, again, didn't see him play exactly. So I could be completely talking about out of my ass here. I have no idea, but I'm trusting in Pavisic from what I saw from him last season in the limited amount of games that we saw, he looked very solid. You know, the first, you know, maybe 20 minutes of me watching him play in net, I was a little nervous. I feel like every UMass fan was a little bit nervous because we've been blessed with Lindbergh and Murray for the past, you know, five seasons, basically. Like, that's some insane shoes to fill. But I think now the path has been cleared, and I think I think it's just – it's going to be his net to, to take away. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, I don't have much basis to go off of for this. Um, I guess I'll just kind of make the argument for, for Cole Brady. Um, I think I'm, I'm so like torn on the decision. Obviously the coaching staff is too, but um, Cole Brady is not, he has a little bit more experience. He was, had played starting minutes last year for an Arizona state team who basically played odd man rush hockey. He didn't have much of a chance to succeed based on their, their uh, goals against numbers from last year. Um, I think a change of scenery with a defensively minded team for a guy who's already seen um, a lot of different, I mean, he played for Arizona state. So they play a lot of um, a lot of different conferences, a lot of different teams. So I think taking that experience with a team in front of him, who is a little more competent on the defensive end could be really good for him. And I can, I can see him kind of running away with those minutes. But like I said, it's, it's a complete toss up at the end of the day. I'm, 
even the coaching staff isn't too sure what the situation is going to be. So um, should be an interesting watch for sure. I'm very intrigued to see who will get the nod on that um, opening game against AIC for sure. Now, real quick though, just because you, you managed to completely convert me onto the retire Trevino's number wagon. I'm going to try and convert you real quick onto the Luke Pavicic wagon. And it's a very simple argument. He has a massive Minuteman on the top of his goalie mask. Ooh. I think that's pretty sick. Is it the I think, old Sam logo? I don't, I don't. So the thing is, is like, I think like the hole in the top of like, of like the mask, like where like the hair would kind of come out and like kind of provide breathability and stuff. It looks like the face is like literally where they punch the hole out of the mask. Mm-hmm. But like they have the whole bodies holding a sick looking rifle. Like I'm just Ooh. saying it looks ridiculous. Do you have a picture of this? Dude, I can send it to you right now. It's it's on Instagram. Like, let me. That, just, it's that it's pretty cool. nuts, dude. I'm gonna be honest. It was very very cool. So uh, you're trying to sway me with with drip being a factor. Hundred percent. He has the drip game on lock. Like okay. it is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, dude. Like, hold on. I'll, let me screenshot this and send. You. It's absolutely nuts. I don't even know if this oh, is all going to be in the pod it. at this point. I think yeah, I found it. You probably did. I'm going to send it to you anyway. Like, look at that drip, dude. Oh, that's that is pure minute, filth. For those, uh, obviously, this is on podcast, so you can't see it, but it's that old, like, detailed drawing logo of a minute, man. I do like that a lot. Like, pure drip factor. You, you cannot deny that. Like no, it's got the he power, got the sauce, <laughs> the power you kind of uh, in the striping there too. That's very nice. So I'm just tossing that out there. Might be something for you to consider if we're gonna judge this off of almost no sort of analytical basis whatsoever, and we're going off pure vibes. I think I think the vibes there might be a little bit better. That is that is pretty electric. I have to agree with you there. Um, I'm just looking at. Um, the helmet for Cole Brady also seems pretty cool, but yeah, that's uh that's our goalie pick. It's it's such a toss up. Um, I think both of us agree it won't be no no ill will to him, but Henry Graham probably doesn't have, even though the coaches say a shot at the the goaltender, he's probably not going to be the guy, just given he was the third string last year. Yeah, most likely. But, Obviously, uh, again, anything can happen, but I mean, right. In most cases, it seems like there's usually kind of an agreement with the third string goalie, like you're you're the third string. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, no slight to anybody whatsoever, but I mean, usually the guys that you that you know, like we wouldn't be bringing in Cole Brady if we didn't think that Henry Graham could have a, a solid shot. You know what I mean? Right, and just because Pavisic got minutes last year, whereas Henry Graham didn't, that's what we're yeah. going off of. Um, I guess we'll keep going with our our superlatives. Um, most points. Kind of kind of plays in with best forward, but um might not. Who do you who do you think is gonna have the most points? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's gonna play in with Florida. I'm going with Mora. I okay. I don't I don't want to bring these massive lofty kale like expectations, but you've been you comparing have, him to Kale for a while on and off. No, there. yeah, but I don't wanna I don't wanna because again, he's not Kale. All right. You no one's gonna be Kale. Dude's literally the best defenseman he might be the best player in the NHL right now, but what I'm saying is, is his, his usage and his ability to make dynamic plays when it matters. I think Morrow was that guy. Like 
Moro, I'm pretty sure in the first three weeks of us watching him, he had a game where he literally single-handedly dangled through the entire offensive zone and then literally walked the puck into the net. Like his feet were in the crease. Against when he Lowell, backhanded by the it. Way. it was Lowell. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that come on. Like really, and that's as a freshman. And again, mm-hmm. once he like the it, we're talking about most points here. So I mean, we can basically just throw defense out the window here. But his, you know, he's gonna get so many opportunities to to score goals and to you know get assists. There's just no if ands or buts about that. He's gonna be the quarterback on the on the number one power play. That's happening. So yeah. just having all of these opportunities to make big plays and having just the shiftiness in the hands and the vision. And I feel like his shot gets pretty underrated. He has quite a solid shot on him as well. So, mm. I mean, his release is very quick and very shifty. Um, I just – I think he has the tools to make it happen, and we're going to put him in positions to use those tools to succeed. Hey, I, I love the pick. If we have a D-man who's playing adequate on defense and getting on the scoring sheet that often, that's a good thing to have. So, I would love to see it. As for myself, I picked Cal Keefuke to be the best forward with a, like a playmaker type vision in my head. So I think I, I just got to give it to Cal Keefuke. Um, again, don't want to put too lofty expectations there. I just think um, with the minutes he's going to get, the, the quality of um, teammates on his line being uh, on the first line, I think um, he'll definitely take a step up and get on the score sheet a lot more this year. I'm, I'm excited to see that line go. Definitely. Um, all right, our next one, most improved player. Who do you got? All right, this one, there might be a little bit of, I guess, I guess just pure vibes involved, but I'm a, I'm a big Taylor McCarr guy at this point. I really want him to succeed. This might be more of me wanting it to happen rather than if it might actually happen. But I think McCarr is a very likable guy. I think he has shown flashes of being a very, very good player. I think he needs to clean up some decision-making and I think he needs to kind of just clean up I guess this kind of ties in with decision making but just kind of overall hockey IQ Mm -hmm. I think sometimes like all right classic example in my brain that I always think of whenever I think of Taylor McCarr because it was such a dope moment like love the kid to death but Jesus Christ man so we were beating Vermont like five nothing in Vermont Mm -hmm. I think it was his first shift of the period at that point like he was playing as an extra skater it's like a minute left in the game like and he just completely runs a dude in the corner. I'm like, bud, you can't, you can't do that. It would have given you five if you were playing on shell. Oh, 100%. Would have given you five. Like, I was a little shocked that they didn't give him anything. I don't think mm-hmm. they actually gave him anything. But it like, was because it was right at the buzzer. They didn't. It was they so didn't see it. suspect. I'm like, dude, like, figure it out. But, like, I've seen moments with him. Like, he'll skate the puck into the offensive zone and – this dude is a solid, like, 6'3", 220, like, big boy. No mm-hmm. other way around it. He is a big boy. And he was showing off some silky mitts. Like, he was dangling around, guys. Like, I remember that game. I think the game was against Lowell at Lowell. He mm-hmm. got – I think he got his first goal. Dude right. realistically scored two goals. I think the first one got called back for some BS. Like There was, like, two goals called back in that game. Yeah, and I remember, like, he looked like a man possessed that game. Like, when he is on, he is on. And I just have not – I just – I don't think he's consistent enough to warrant putting him in the lineup because some days he's frankly unplayable. And some days he shows flashes of absolute brilliance, 
that just if he can become more consistent, I think he could be a very, very solid player on this team and he could be a key contributor at points. Like not even just from a pure like point perspective, but he's a fairly quick skater. He has a big body and he likes to throw it around. He just needs to throw it around smarter. It's simple. Like, again, it's just, it's kind of the same things that I was thinking about with Moro, like just some, some very key decision-making things and just showing a lot of smart effort at proper moments. He would be such a good player to see. And again, like, obviously, you know, the Makar family, we want to see succeed as much as humanly possible here. So that's clearly going to tie a little bit into the decision, but yeah, I just think super likable kid. And if he puts it all together, he's going to be really, really solid. Yeah, I love the pick from you. We've we've seen flashes of the of the talent, but we've yet to see it come together. Obviously, it was just his freshman year last year. So um, I like the pick. I think it's a I think it's a, a good choice. Um, who I have for my most improved player, it's a guy who didn't get a ton of playing time last year, but uh, definitely again saw some some flashes of talent. Uh, I think it'll be Lucas Mercury. I think he'll get a, a pretty big jump in minutes. Um, big guy who uh, could definitely throw the body around a bit more. Uh, found himself in a lot of scoring chances last year that um, quite didn't connect every once in a while. Uh, probably should have had more goals than he did, just going off memory from watching the games last year. So um, I could see I could see him with the increased minutes and having a year under his belt taking that step up. I don't know your thoughts on that. I, I like this pick a lot, honestly. And I know that sounds like really just like me trying to agree with you for the sake of the pod, but I genuinely think that's a really solid pick because he he already has that sort of like, I guess, NHL pedigree because he got picked. You know, like everybody liked him because he was a big guy, 6'3", probably two, 200, 210. You know, he's a big dude. And he, I don't know, like, he, like I'm looking at his stats right now. Dude had 15 points in 36 games and he was a plus one. Very respectable you know, stat line, especially for a guy that I'm pretty sure was getting third, maybe second line when I think the faith was out for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure. And I think Lapina was out for quite a bit at one point too. So he was getting like, he was moving all the way up and down the lineup the whole time. Yeah. He never really got settled on one sort of line with one kind of group of players to play alongside him to develop the chemistry. Um, so I think he is definitely due for a big jump in production. Cause I think he's going to see, a, a pretty sizable role. I mean, I'm not really sure exactly where he's going to slot in just kind of along the lineup. Cause I mean, I think we have very solid, you know, centers on our, on our roster. And I'm pretty sure he's lining up as a center for us, or at least he did last year. Cause we have guys like now Josh Nodler, who is getting first line time right now. Um, probably mainly due to his face off prowess. Um, we're obviously going to have Eric faith and we're going to have Mercury and then whoever centers the fourth line. I'm not sure off the top of my head. So I think he's going to, you know, he's in a very, very strong center group, but I think he might be able to carve out a, a, a higher role for himself, like on a, on a higher line. And I think he's just going to be able to kind of take over at moments because he's a big body. And I think he can do a lot of good stuff either behind the net or in front of the net. So I agree yeah. with you there. Yeah. And plus he's a, a friend of the pot. So that definitely bodes well for him, I think. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. No, we, we ended up, we <laughs> saw him at the, uh, I think it was, before the before the football game a couple of weeks ago, he was yep. hanging out. I think he, he must have like saw like one of the pictures that we post or something because like he looked around the corner and like immediately like saw us. I thought that was hilarious. Like I don't know if he was seeking us out, but yeah, no, really cool guy. We had a nice little conversation with him. Um and yeah, obviously we're hoping for the best out of everybody on the team. But Mercury, and I think we saw Mikey Adamson too. We're mm-hmm. obviously we're praying on their uh 
their success just a, just a little bit more. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, another superlative we got, um, we're calling it Colt Hero. Uh, what, who do you think is going to be the fan favorite guy uh, people, people grasp onto throughout the year? All right, kids, cover your ears. Tyson Dick, <laughs> big, I got I to gotta say it, all right? But it's not even just for the last name. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to just completely disregard the kid's ability. You know what I mean? I can't just be like, ah, that's the guy, Dick, last name. Huh? No, it's not like that at all. I think, I mean, obviously it's going to turn some heads and probably get, get some eyes looking at him a little bit more because I'm hoping, I'm just praying for the fact that we're going to hear starting at right wing out of, you know, where, where the hell is he from? Hold on, let me look it up. Um, I gotta scroll all the way down to the list since he's number 40 out of <laughs> Abbotsford, British Columbia. I want to hear Tyson Dick and it's just reverberating throughout the Mullen Center. Like, you know, the student section will eat that up. They're going to eat it up. Like it's the most delicious meal out of Burke that you could get at late night. Like there's <laughs> just, there's no other way to put it. So I'm, I'm hoping that there will be a future in the next three years where I'm getting myself a number 40 Dick Jersey because he's just going to be playing his ass off for us. Just, absolutely putting up numbers so hey that's the guys the guys taking a number that never gets worn too you hope there's something like funky something cool about him just all all eyes are on this kid right now last name jersey number everything this man is in the spotlight right now and i'm praying that he shines because if 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 everything comes together it's going to be a wonderful story especially for the student section they're going to eat it up like it's pancakes bro it's going to be amazing i love the pick uh, I do hope someday that you get a Tyson Dick jersey. That'd be incredible. Um, for my pick, you got to hear me out. People love a story, right? People love a good storyline. Kale McCarr wins Stanley Cup, the Norris, wins all these awards, right? His brother, Taylor McCarr, playing college hockey, not a lot of minutes last year, pretty inconsistent. We've talked about him a bunch. How great would it be? If he starts to shine a little bit in the first couple of games, we saw it. We saw it in Lowell that game where he had the the goal should have been two goals. The the players love him. They love seeing him score. They love seeing him celebrate. If he can get off to a good start, everybody already knows the name on the back of the jersey. He's gonna have a lot of eyes on him. He was drafted to the Avalanche. Obviously, we mentioned Kale, his brother. Um, I think if he starts performing at a level that you you expect him to as most improved player I think he will be such an easy guy to rally around 100 percent. and I mean I just think he kind of has that personality about him to where he's just going to eat it up like Mm -hmm. like if everybody's rallying behind him and I think if he's just going to focus so much harder and like I think he's going to smarten up and because he's going to want to continue to be in that spotlight and just everybody's just going to be hounding him with support and love so I think that would make for an unbelievable story. And I think it would just bring up the whole team. You know what I mean? Like, obviously the team culture is already so tight knit, but just kind of having, you know, and I don't want to obviously just make it all about him because no one's bigger than the team with like, that's obviously Carvel's going to reel that in immediately, but just like from a more lighthearted perspective, like just kind of having that sort of storyline is just not even just for the players and for the staff, but just for the fans, you know what I mean? Like that would just be awesome to see. So I'm, I don't know if, if our, mo- if our kind of, I mean, obviously it makes sense from a cult hero perspective, you know what I mean? So clearly we are going to be hoping for that all the same. So that should be really awesome to see if it does end up happening. I'll be happy yeah. with either one of these picks, quite frankly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we saw those photos over the summer uh, of Kale's day with the Stanley cup. 
saw how Taylor was looking at the cup. He's got pretty big aspirations. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely a guy to watch out for. And the last superlative award that we have on our list is the best game slash experience. Obviously, it's impossible to predict like which hockey game will be the best, but just like what we think will be the highlight of the season. There's obviously a lot of um, like notable games on the schedule. What do you what do you think is going to be the big one? All right, so I I feel like the there's an easy answer here, and I'm going to go against the easy answer because one, I want to be different. And two, I actually have some legitimate negatives about the easy answer. So I'm going to let you go with the easy answer. I'll give you my answer first. I'm picking Frozen Fenway. And I think, like, I don't want to, again, spoil your answer. I think everybody kind of has an idea of what it's going to be if you're actually connected to the program in any way, shape, or form. But I'm going to say Frozen Fenway because it's a local event. It's It's a nice way to get hockey against BC in a, in a special environment and you don't have to deal with a metric crap ton of jet lag to go to it. <laughs> so then there's, there's again, totally not foreshadowing somebody else's pick here, but yeah, I think there's, there's going to be a ton of people that are going to be able to make it out to, to Fenway for, you know, one of those just kind of, I wouldn't say once in a lifetime, but once every five, 10 year type of games, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, it, like it's gonna be my first time going and i'd like to think of myself as a pretty dedicated fan but i don't think i had the money to go because they had us when did we last play there i think it was our freshman 2016, year yeah it was our freshman year yeah. I, yeah that sounds right so obviously being able to go there now is going to be a huge treat i'm really looking forward to it again especially against bc and especially knowing that a lot of our fan base is centered around eastern mass i think it's going to be a really good way to get a lot of people out to the game and show a lot of support yeah, in terms of a, a spectacle, I completely agree with you. Outdoor games are so awesome to watch. Um, I always make a point to watch the Winter Classic every year. I think it's really cool. Um, and it'll be a treat for the guys to get to go out, uh, play at the most historic baseball stadium there is. Uh, maybe we'll get some snowy weather, playing BC, one of the biggest rivals. So I, I think that is a very, very solid pick. Um you spoiled my answer, so I'll just go out and my say My bad. It. <laughs> uh, the game's in Belfast, the Friendship Four. Um, I think that's so awesome to be playing hockey in a different country, just kind of spread the um, the word about college hockey and how awesome it could be. Uh, again, UMass did this trip um, a bunch of years back, but we were not around the, the program to, to be able to go make it happen. We're, we have organized it so that we can be there. Uh, do the full experience it obviously won't be the same like on tv spectacle that frozen fenway will be it'll just be in a a normal arena but just the the fact that the guys get to go experience something overseas completely new country um i think that's awesome and we'll be playing a um a revered rival in umass lowell in the first game so it should be just a really cool experience a little a little selfish pick from me just because we're going on the trip and it's going to be just a really awesome week, but uh, yeah, I think that's going to be the the best experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I called it the easy answer. I mean, it is going to be a sick atmosphere to go to. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not even just kind of it. Like, we we purposely phrased the superlative in the sense of best game slash experience. It might not necessarily be the best game. I feel like Belfast Arena might be pretty comparable to a lot of the arenas that we've probably gone on. Which reminds me, we haven't done an arena review in forever. That's going to be a fun one to review. But um, 
yeah, it's just the overall experience is going to be crazy. You know what I mean? Like you kind of have to make a whole trip out of it. I feel like if you're just going for the weekend, that just seems kind of crazy. Like we're going to be spending quite a bit of time over there. Um, and that'll be kind of our, at least my first foray into Europe. I'm pretty sure it be yours as well. So I mean, yep. both of our first times overseas. Yeah. So that'll definitely be, you know, a crazy experience. You know what I mean? So I think it's, definitely gonna be better in a lot of instances but i just i'm dreading the fact that it's gonna be a wicked long plane flight like i've never i've never done a long flight like that before i've never like literally been overseas in a completely different time zone like i feel like the jet lag is gonna destroy me so it's gonna be a big adjustment which is what i'm a little bit concerned about so i feel like frozen fenway knowing that i could go back and sleep in my own bed a couple hours after the game was a little bit more reassuring to me but I don't know. It, I might be completely overthinking it, and Belfast might be the most unforgettable experience of my life. We'll see how it shakes out. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with either. And uh, one that we left off the list, uh, the home opener against Denver, number one team in the country, going to be raising the Hockey East Champions banner, which should be should be a, a packed house, should be a fun time. Um, and then trip to Wisconsin. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure there's anybody out there who is super excited about a trip to wisconsin in the winter but if you are that'll be really cool for you as well uh, all right right off the top of my head i'm thinking of matt cahill i know he's yeah. a he's a big umass umass twitter guy i think he lives out there in wisconsin so that might be a big thing that he's trying to get people to go to but yeah. uh, that's the yeah, only flights, one i can think of at the top of my head though flights are pretty cheap to go out there so if it's a, a new place for you it might be cool cool little trip to make 100 percent. all right i think i think that's everything we wanted to talk about again uh encourage you guys to go back and listen to our schedule preview. We went pretty into depth uh, on all our opponents for this upcoming year and how the, the, the setup of the schedule, how it was organized might play a role in the outcomes this season. We also kind of gave our, our end predictions on UMass's record this year at the end of that episode, which you can go check out. Our next episode will be Friday afternoon and it will be the first pregame show of the year. Uh, we'll do a short little uh, preview of UMass's matchup with AIC in Springfield. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, we'll be at the game. So uh, keep an eye out for us at the Mass Mutual Center. It's $2 beer night. So if you're in Western Mass, really no excuse not to get down there here on the boys for their opening night. Yeah, definitely. I mean, try and make it out to as many games as you possibly can because boys need your support. I feel like, you know, sometimes if you're not like, talking to the players and stuff like that like you just don't know how much it means to them but from what we've heard like when we talk to them it means the world you know what I mean like they recognize and they notice everybody that's out there so they definitely feed off the energy and they they play a lot harder when they know that people have eyes on them you know what I mean especially when they're inside the building and cheering them on in person right and that's that's the really nice part about it kind of being an intimate thing college hockey like if you go to a bunch of the games, like you might not know, but like the players know who you are. They, mm -hmm. they recognize your support. So uh, like you said, they really appreciate it and make sure you get out to as many games as possible this year. They're super fun too. So um, definitely, definitely a great way to spend a winter weekend. All right. Uh, that should be it. Super excited to get going first uh, kind of in season mode with our next episode coming out. So I'm super pumped for that, but uh yeah, we'll we'll see all you guys down in Springfield on Saturday. Go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. And let's get the win this Saturday. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm.